I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Okay, engage, engage everyone, engage the official Star Trek podcast coming to you direct from Deck 44 of the Play.it Network, and it is an exciting week. We are now in the thrush of convention week, Star Trek Las Vegas celebrating 50 years, and um, if you're following along at home, if you have the convention blues, if you're suffering from FOMO and you're not there, you can uh, be sure to check out, follow at Star Trek on Twitter, Follow me on Twitter at Jay Hoffman. Follow the hashtag STLV. Follow Star Trek on Facebook. Follow this show on Facebook. You need to go to facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. All one word. And if you are at your computer working. Working. If you are at your computer working and uh, you want to sign up for that on Facebook, hit like. If you want to head over to iTunes. Give us a thumbs up on iTunes. I've been told to tell you that it is great and helpful to the show if you leave comments on the iTunes reviews page for this show. So hopefully you listened to the last last episode, which was just yesterday, our interview with Star Trek Beyond co-author Doug Young. And today we have a surprise uh, in in keeping up with uh, transparency here when we hung up the phone with Doug Young last week. We did not know that we'd be picking up the phone again a short time later with his partner in crime, your friend and mine, Simon Pegg, the uh, co-author of Star Trek Beyond, but of course, uh, the Kelvin verse, the Kelvin timelines version of Montgomery Scotty, as Jayla calls her. So we're going to be talking to him. Uh, real soon. That's going to be great. And then starting tomorrow, we're going to have, we're going to be uploading shows directly from the Star Trek convention at the Rio in Las Vegas. We got a lot of surprises coming, so I don't want to tell you just yet, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And now again, if you are working a hard case of FOMO and you want to come to a Star Trek convention, you'll have an opportunity to come to one this Labor Day weekend, September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th in New York. And if you uh, don't want to, if you want to throw the dice... If you want to play the Dabo wheel and not just buy a ticket, but see if you can win, there is an opportunity for you to go to cbs.com slash Star Trek, scroll all the way to the bottom, and uh, you could win tickets. Tickets for, um, is it for two? 
<laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's tickets for two. It would be kind of weird if it was tickets for one. I'm pretty sure it's tickets for two. And if it's not, file a complaint and tell them that I said it should be for tickets for two. How does that sound? So, yes, you can win a trip to New York and stay in a nice hotel or at least a clean hotel. Uh, CBS.com slash Star Trek. Scroll all the way to the bottom. So in a moment, we're going to be picking up our communicators and talking to Simon Pegg. So until then... Hold on your hats and stay tuned. Now we're going to hear 30 seconds of advertising. 30 seconds or 15 seconds? It could be a 30 or a 60. Oh, a 60. It could be either. Oh, my God. Whoa. That's exciting. You might get 60 seconds of advertising. That's even better. All right. Hold on to your hats. We'll be back in X amount of moments. Star Trek fans, listen to me. Don't waste money. I, this is Quark speaking. To you as a fellow Ferengi, don't waste money. Don't waste money on video games that you play once and then you never touch again. I have a solution. Gamefly.com is where it's at. Gamefly.com is basically uh, Netflix, but for games. It's a great idea. You, uh, They have over 9,000 titles to choose from. They have... The, the newest games, they've got classic games, they got deep cut games, they got them for every kind of console. So if yours is a little bit older, it's still gonna you're still gonna find stuff on there for you. And there's no late fees. So you get it, you play through it, and then when you're done, you send it back and you get another one. It's it's win-win. So what uh, and but that's not all. You go to gamefly.com slash engage and you're gonna get a free premium 30-day trial just because you listen to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. This is your lucky day. You didn't even know. So go to Gamefly.com slash engage. Sign up. You get to check out two games at a time or movies. They have a few movies on there, too, which is great. And then you can start playing immediately. And uh, you're never going to have leftover discs that are just collecting dust again. Gamefly.com, the best. The best deal in gaming today. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Hi, Jordan. Hey, Simon. How you doing, sir? Good, thank you. Uh, great. Well, um, we're going to start recording right now. And just so you know, we're we're uh, the official Star Trek podcast here in New York, part of CBS. And um, we are still doing somersaults and cartwheels over the enjoyment of Star Trek Beyond from two weeks ago. So, <laughs> so congratulations on that once again. Thank you. Well, um, first of all, where are we talking? Oh, is that a dog that just barked? Sorry, I'm surrounded by a dog. <laughs> Stop barking at each other. Okay, uh, what, we're ready to go. I have to ask, what are those dogs' names? Uh, that's Minnie, and uh, she, she's the oldest, and she's barking at Cookie, who's the youngest, for being so uh, presumptuous as to jump onto my lap before Minnie does. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I'm guessing that you're, you're at home. You're not in the middle of shooting right now. I am. I've just got back from Ready Player One, actually. I literally just walked through the door. Um, and uh, I was handed the phone and, and, and <laughs> just sat down. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit how how is that go? How is Stephen doing? Is he doing okay? He's doing great, actually. He's doing really, really well. I took my little girl to set today. She's been sort of obsessing about. Um, she's only seven, but she she she's 
for some reason fixated on Jaws, like she really wants to watch Jaws. <laughs> and um, I said that she could ask Steven Spielberg if it was okay. And uh, he, he he asked how old she was, and she said, I'm seven. And he said no. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, well, you know what? If Steven says no, then... But I think I think he's made the right choice. You may, but you know what? You get, you can now get him on something and say, "Listen, now we can only watch it, but at your place when she's ready. Yeah. You can invite <laughs> yourself over to his house and watch it." Exactly, exactly. But you know, she understands movie magic, though. I mean, she's she's probably more you know a, a, you know to an average seven year old. Yes, they can't watch it, but she knows how movies are made, so it's a little different for her. She's, yeah, I mean, she's you know because she's been on a lot of film sets and um, and and understands the process she's quite a little horror buff she likes sort of scary things i think she'll probably watch it sooner than perhaps i would have but um she had a great time on the set of um of star trek beyond actually well, she was very taken with that's uh, what i wanted did she did, did she meet crawl because crawl's kind of scary to look at in makeup anyhow she did she did that was her only she met idris again uh, recently and and was sort of um relieved that he was actually a human being <laughs> But she, yeah, she met she met everybody. You know, she 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 sort of came on set and was particularly fond of uh, of Jayla because obviously Jayla's sort of super cool for young girls. So uh, for young girls and forty year old you know. men, also, I, I had a good time with her as well. <laughs> but but yeah, so she was cool with Jayla. But then she she met the whole gang. But then meeting Crawl was was something. Uh... Well, she kind of I think because she's been on. You know, she was on the set of. Star Wars and, and 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 was on the set of the other Star Trek movie as well, and she's she's known Deep Roy for uh, quite a long time, and she knows that Deep was an Oompa Loompa in, in in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because he always does in Keen's in full Keenza um, makeup and costume will do the Oompa Loompa dance for Tilly, so she kind of she she knows about alien creatures, and and so when she met Idris, she was kind of cool with it, you know, even though he was obviously like six foot five and looking terrifying in whatever particular part of Kral's sort of evolution he was in at that point. I think it was in the first time we see him. Wow. Well, listen, I'm glad you brought up Deep Roy and Keenzer. I have a hundred hardcore Star Trek questions to ask you, but I want to go straight to the most important one. Um, First of all, I think this is the first time we hear Keenzer's name in the films. Now, granted, Fans like myself have known his name for a while because it's been mentioned in the comics. We even went to yes. his home planet of Royla, which is a wonderful That's place, right. uh, and we learned that Keenzer was the first of his of his breed to go to go to Starfleet. It's a wonderful story. Um, yeah, that was um, entirely a, 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 an on the sort of off the cuff sorry moment in the first um, in JJ's uh, 09 Star Trek when we shot the scene when. Uh, Scotty beams out from uh, Delta Vega, and uh, and Deep's reaction was so kind of heartwarming. You know, so the heartstrings were so plucked by his little sort of sigh when Scotty <laughs> left. We were like, we kind of can't be it. He's surely got to come back. So we we had costumes sort of whip him up. A, it's this very sort of obviously very blasé attitude towards inducting people into the crew. <laughs> the enterprise. You know, it's like yeah, just give them a vest. It's fine. They're, they're qualified. But it just seemed like a nice little thing to do with that character and now he's back and uh he's back the second time and he was he was with your character uh at like a a swinging bar uh for a moment drinking cocktails but now he's back but he he's very pivotal to the plot in that he's part of a jailbreak and he does it through acidic snot he blasts uh, a big phlegm loogie uh out of whatever a roiland has uh, for a nose and it burns through 
some sort of steel or whatever space age alloy exists out there on in the nebula. What what was the yeah, right? A, tell us about the writing process of Keener's acidic snot. <laughs> well, that came out of really it came out of the when we wrote the scene, the scene with Bones and Kirk having a drink together. Um, Bones's excuse for being late was was um, that he'd been you know treating Keener. He was he was he 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 was some sort of acidic green goo. I think he calls it. And and that was quite early on in the writing process, obviously. We also had a scene, there was a scene that's deleted when um, the arrivals at Yorktown, when uh, Scotty and um, Keenzer come out and have a little chat with Kirk when he's, you know, looking at Yorktown. And um, at the end of that little sequence, Keenzer did a little sneeze and wiped his nose just to keep that alive before <laughs> we saw it again in the, um, in the jailbreak sequence. But that sequence actually ended up making... Just ch- it just ch- altered the momentum a little bit, like the urgency of arriving at Yorktown. It made it feel a little bit too relaxed, and so we we cut out of that scene before Scotty turns up, and so that little moment of connective tissue went. But I think it still tracks from you know you because because it's such a funny line that Bones says about. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it, it definitely I think well, it sticks in the mind. <laughs> it certainly does, and you know Keenzer does have a strong following among. Some Star Trek fans, so anything that involves yeah. him uh, gets gets pretty excited. Um, so, you know, just the other day we had uh, your partner in crime, Doug, on the show, and we grilled him about yeah. a lot of stuff up and down. So he told us all sorts of stories about you. So now it's your opportunity to tell some stories about him because uh, the, the way he told it, uh, you have written a number of uh, screenplays and television projects throughout your career with different um, collaborators. Many of yeah. these were people that you've known for a very long time. I'm thinking about, of course, Nick Frost. I'm thinking about Edgar Wright. But with yeah. this case, it was a situation of, because this was a little bit of a rush production, uh, you know, the producers saying, you know, we want you to, to, to take over and, and start over on the third, the third film. And we got this guy, Doug. He's coming in, and he's great, and you're going to love him. And then next thing you know, you're working together. So... It worked out brilliantly. You know, everybody's pretty pleased with the result. But I'm wondering about what that was like for you, who'd previously been like, hey, you know, I've known my co-writers for for years before I start working with them. It was daunting. I mean, it was an arranged marriage, you know, and and, um, I I had no idea. You know, I was I said, uh, DJ and Lindsay said, oh, we're going to Lindsay Webber said, oh, we're going to put you together with this guy, Doug. Now, I trust them completely in their judgment. So I knew that he'd be you know was eminently capable i just didn't know if we were going to click because people you know that was that was all to be seen sorry sorry they're now they're fighting mini come on mini material it's okay she's just um they're so jealous of me that's the thing they fight over me um but i met doug and we just sort of immediately hit it off and it was it was a relief to kind of to have that kind of Sympathical, and the great thing was we had a, a key thing to bond on, which was Star Trek. And we, but we both had a sort of love of Star Trek in common, so we were able to kind of hit the ground running, really. And and but we had exactly the same aims and exactly the same kind of designs on what the script should be. And and that was a really joyful process because it was very sort of uh, there was a lot of very positive back and forth. Doug came to, as I'm sure he told you, he came to stay at my place, and we had this really nice sort of period of time working in the UK essentially when LA was asleep so we felt really kind of that we had a real a real freedom because we weren't being hassled for <laughs> for kind of right. details that they could build and design 
They can't. So we, we they, really clicked and, and became really good friends. Well, he mentioned that you, you know, in between your marathon writing sessions, there would be uh, some some downtime, and you would use your, that downtime for for research, and you would watch Star Trek in in uh, in your. I guess you have a screening room there. And yeah, that was our kind of reward at the end of the day. And, and if we'd done a solid twelve hours, because we were being, we were given sort of ridiculous deadlines, so we just we'd just get our head done and we'd write. And, and, you know, the first draft of the script was probably about 185 pages long or something ridiculous like that. And I would like to see that version. To get it all out on the page. <laughs> but, uh, but the, yeah, the, que- <laughs> the question I have is, is uh, so you're in there and, you know, you pop in the Blu-ray of uh, the original series. Was it sort of rapt attention while it was on or were you kind of talking to one another and talking at the screen like, hey, look at what Bones is doing there? Was it sort of a, an interactive uh, type of uh, screening environment? In it, it's difficult not to be wrapped in it, really. You know, we, we'd sit, and it was our downtime. We 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 expressly sort of made it a sort of relaxation period. So we'd take our our phones down so we could use the notes function on the thing just to take little bits and pieces down. And we'd, you know, because it was just Doug and I, we we didn't have to be too sort of uh, quiet. It wasn't mm. like we had to. We were worried about disturbing anyone, so we could chat in the middle of it and enjoy it. But we, it was as much for recreation as. As it was for research. And I gotcha. So it wasn't. It was. It was an interesting fact. It, it was. Um, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, the the, the I it, it never made it into the final cut of the movie, and I don't think it actually made it into the shooting script. But the two crew members that crawl um, when he demonstrates his sort of life sucking technique to um, Ahura and Sulu. The two crew members that are hanging up are Tomlinson and Martine, who are the, cut, the, the two that are getting married at the beginning of Balance of Terror, I think it is. <laughs> That's right. And, and so we had, we had that, we took their names down. It would be great if we can get them in. So for, if, if you've seen the movie and you are as, as familiar with the original series as you probably should be, that it's, the, the tragedy is that it's that young oh. <laughs> lovers couple that are, that are drained by Kral. You know, they, they've never known happiness in either timeline. They've only known grief. <laughs> but at least in this timeline, they die together. So that's a little nicer, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Not just a widowing or whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, in, in the previous, uh, you know, first of all, this represents something very new in sort of modern franchise filmmaking. I can't think of another example of where three films in, the writer is a member of the ensemble. And uh, it seems to me like a smart way to use a talented guy on the team. They already know that you know how to write, so uh, and they know you know everybody, and they, you know the strengths of the, of the, of the crew. It, it seems, only, seems only right that they asked you to do it, but it, it's, it's very unique. Um, but it was also great for the character of Scotty, I would imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you tried to be equitable, but, you know, everybody yeah. loves Scotty, and you gave him a really good part in this one. In, in, in the first movie, he doesn't show up till midway through. In the second yeah, movie, he's cool. gone a lot of the time. He does save the day at the end, and he has to run that gigantic length of the vengeance <laughs> multiple yeah. times, which I'm sure you were thrilled about that on those shooting oh days. God. I threw up. <laughs> but on, did you really throw up? <laughs> I did. I'd, I'd just eaten lunch, and I came. I walked onto set and said, "What are we doing?" To JJ, and said, oh, "You got to run up and down here." And I, after three times, I literally had to go back to my trailer and, and be violent. Oh dear! I was fine after that. Oh dear. <laughs> well, on uh, nevertheless. So this time, uh, you gave yourself. Uh, you know, you didn't have to run, and you're you're in the whole thing, and you gave yourself some of the finest trek no babble 
in in uh, in a long time explaining how <laughs> FM radio is going to destroy the bad guys. Can I'm just curious if you could translate. I mean, it certainly makes sense. You get it because you and the rest of the cast sell it. But if I had to explain it to somebody else how it works, I don't know if I could. Could you explain it to me using using either Trepno Babel or the English language, whichever you prefer? Well, we had this idea. We had this idea that the um, the, the swarm murmurates, I think is the right word, via this sort of cyberpathic linkup, which is which is what Spock kind of realizes it when when Jayla refers to them as bees, because bees coordinate their movements uh, individually and they respond accordingly. Whereas the swarm is linked by this sort of whisper of cyberpathic information, which uh, so they can they can create these incredible shapes. And what they realize they can do is if they if they drown that out, then they'll stop being able to communicate and it will just cause a chain reaction of a collision. And they realize the only way they can do this is to use a really old kind of VHF kind of frequency, which they that which Chekhov notes that it might be they, that that their their link might be susceptible to interference from that because it's what they wouldn't expect. And so it's not and it's not the Beastie Boys that that does the job. It's the fact that they just. <laughs> It's, it's Jayla's choice. Jayla has this. We just sure. thought it would be great that Jayla had found this archive of Earth music on the Franklin and, and had taken to sort of like 80s, 90s. Right. But, but, but Beastie so Boys... That, it was, that was her choice of song. But Beastie Boys are, you know, canonically now in all three films. I mean, young... Exactly. And that's what it felt. <laughs> you know, originally it was an old soul classic called Big Bird. When I had the idea, it was... And I think Beastie Boys came from Justin. Ah. And, um, uh, yeah, it was... Um, I can't remember the name of the guy, the, the artist who did Big Bird now. No, I don't know that. I'm going to have to look that one up. But uh, so originally, but it was um, yeah. It just and it felt more, and that 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 of course then slotted into the canonical link between the films and also yeah. you know Kirk it, it, it having. There were lots of things in the movie that um, were supposed to kind of t- take Kirk back to his youth and to his thoughts of his father. So the. The, the Beastie Boys track reminded him of being a young man. The the, the bike, you know, the sort of the, the PX seven. Sure, sure. Was was something he'd been told about that his father had owned, and 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 so all this stuff that's kind of on his mind at the moment was constantly being brought to the fore for him, you know. And so um, that that the Beastie Boys thing was another example of that. Big, Big Bird was Eddie Floyd, according to our Eddie research Floyd, here. Yeah. Yep. But you know what I'm excited about, Simon, is once this movie is out on 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 Blu-ray and DVD. People are going to be uploading that sequence to YouTube illegally, but still they're going to do it. And they're going to then put a different music underneath that sequence. And I guarantee you that's going to be a big meme, as they say. And it's going to be Tom Sawyer by Rush and a lot of prog rock, everything that Strek fans love. You know, Shine Deliria Primatoris by Yes, all kinds of hardcore nerd stuff. And it's going to yeah. be glorious. And, and They'll have to do it. With, I mean, Justin was so meticulous with our music editor, to obviously because the track is edited to yeah. picture, so they'll yeah. have to be as precise. And I don't know if anybody could work harder than Justin Well, Lynn. Justin I... Lin literally has just finished the movie. Like two weeks after it came out, he finished his last sort of color timing pass, stuff that only he will probably ever notice for the Blu-ray. So when the Blu-ray comes out, it'll be the best version of the film that's ever been seen, even oh, better than the theatrical version, because Justin was tweaking it up until... I mean, he is so, so meticulous when it comes to his process. I, I've just grown to love that man for his 
attention to detail. Well, well, don't underestimate the the power of Star Trek fans on the internet. There's a lot of time. I, I, I never would. <laughs> <laughs> As you well know, they can get into it sometimes. So um, absolutely, but uh, you know, cl- and clearly, you know, for the fans, there are a lot of little moments. I mean, I nearly fell out of my chair when you mentioned the giant green space hand. I mean, that I feel like was a gift. Uh, you know, like you, you, it was as if you turned to the screen and said, I would now like to give a gift to the Star Trek fans in the audience right now. But well, it's um, funny because that's something that's something I remember before I, you know, became a, a season watcher and knew what episode that was and stuff before I knew the details of that as a child, that image really stuck with me as a sort of seven or eight year old viewer of the show. And and it just it was something that I knew for even sort of passing track fans. Um, who didn't know it was from whom mourns Adonis or whatever, that, that they would remember the giant green space hand. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image from Trek, which is just so resonant. Yeah, a lot of great things flying through space. That and Abraham Lincoln was another biggie. But uh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> would that one have been as funny to you as, as a British young lad watching Star Trek? I mean, you know, that's like, that would be like if I saw, um, I don't know, Oliver Cromwell flying through space. It may not mean as much to me, but... Uh, I think I, just, yeah, I mean, it, it probably wouldn't have such a cultural impact, but it's still, irrespective of that, uh, was still a kind of like, you know, at that moment. Yes, that's also one of the worst episodes in all, in all of Star Trek, the Savage <laughs> Curtain, but yet I still love it. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, so you, we talked, you talked a little bit about the Kelvin, uh, not the Kelvin, the, um, the Yorktown and uh, sort of the other goings-on. Um, and you know when Doug was on last yesterday's show, we, we talked an awful lot about uh, you know his character and Sulu's character and and just sort of Yorktown in general and the utopia it is. But I'm wondering, yeah. I gotta ask, was there any? Because there are a lot of just great shots of things going on. Was there ever a, a, a thought of maybe finally we get a, a moment of Nick Frost somewhere if he's going to be anywhere <laughs> in the Star Trek universe? I figure he'd be somewhere in Yorktown, you know, maybe with an attaché case, going to work or something. Or say he wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I, you're saying I if I go frame by frame, I'm still never going to find him, right? No, you probably won't. I keep get people keep saying, "Oh, why, why can't Nick play Harry Mudd?" You know, right? It was, it's obviously a, uh, a a rather neat piece of casting, but um, you never know. You know, let's just you know, we're, we're we're making another one apparently, so you never know. It would be wonderful to see him. I don't know. He doesn't have to play Harry <laughs> Mudd. Um, but he doesn't have to play Cyrano Jones, uh, but uh, it, it doesn't have to play anybody. He can just be, you know, the third, third alien on the left, and then two months after the movie's <laughs> out, you let us all know, and then we got to go back and watch it again because it. Yeah, exactly. People, people do like uh, like seeing the two of you together. Um, yeah, well, you know, we like hanging out as well. So <laughs> it's uh, you know, he doesn't get out of bed for less than a couple of mils. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have some secrets on him by now that you could you could uh, you could use on him. How would uh, how would Gary King fit in on on the Enterprise? You know, he he uh, the character obviously from uh, from World's End, and he fought aliens at the end of uh, of World's End. Uh, would would he eventually uh, be simpatico with Starfleet? You think, or is he too independent? Too much of a? I think he'd need to he'd need to get over his personal issues. It's funny because that the whole you know the, at the end of the World's End, Gary's sort of face off with with the network was very much inspired by. Star Trek, you know, that, that the old sort of, you know, Earth person against the sort of faceless intelligence idea was 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 really us channeling, a, you know, Star Trek in, in many ways. Uh, and it, and the beginning of the beginning of Beyond, you know, was similarly that um, that that classic image of sort of looking up to the 
to the questioning superior alien race or supposedly sort of superior. Um, but it was funny to actually end up writing that in the, in the world's end, but then writing it for real in a Star Trek movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the opening, uh, I, I guess it's a prologue. The, fir- the first, the first reel, as they say in the old days of Star Trek beyond does feel, um, a lot like, uh, some of the work you've done with Edgar Wright, merely because it, it's just super fast paced. Um, it's funny. Uh, it's got, it's got the voiceover, um, I, you know, there, there are some, some one-to-one comparisons with, with some of the, with that trilogy. I'm wondering, is that something that you were hesitant to do or that you didn't want to do with Doug or that Doug said, no, you, this has worked for you in the past, go for it. Or how, how did that come about? I think we just wanted, we wanted to start the film off on a fairly, on a sort of deceptively light note, basically, and have something that was quite fun just to, just to, just to set out our stall in the opening moments of the film to say this film is going to be a lots of fun and um and have a lightness of touch which star trek has often had and often done really really well um the captain's log is is a fanta- has always been a fantastic narrative device in terms of you know filling the audience in on w- with exposition in a in a very sort of clever functional way and and for us it was a way of bringing everyone up to speed in terms of how the crew were feeling um in, you know, so far into their into their mission, and and um, we just like the idea of of actually addressing the idea of, of of them having been out in space a long time and how that would affect them. And that was never really addressed in the series. You know, they they got on with their job and they never questioned why they were out there or or or, or how it was making them feel. Particularly, I mean, you know, obviously episodes like Shore Leave would would suggest that that's something that they would need. But we just thought this would be fun to kind of address in Kirk's opening captain's log and also it gave us the you know the, the opportunity to make the episodic joke and sure um, sure which is which is arcs. which was sort of ironic because uh, some of uh, some of the com- I don't want to say complaints about the first two but some of the celebration of the third one and I put myself in this category is oh this does feel like a big budget version of a classic episode it has that feel of of one of the episodes, but with this crew that we love, and it was sort of what we've been yeah. waiting for. So even though that was kind of Doug and I, that was kind of our thing. You know, we, we sort of said that in the writing room. Let's make, let's make a you know a, a big budget episode of the original series. That felt like the the right thing to do on the 50th anniversary. Oh, absolutely. But what's funny is that it's a, a maybe Kirk is annoyed with it, but the fans were like, "Yeah, that's right. It should feel episodic. That's what yeah. that's what we <laughs> want here." But it, you know, it, it, the other thing is, um, you say that we never saw that sort of tedium with the show. Um, it is sort of a nice nod that the characters in this film have been uh, on their mission, I guess the idea is longer than the show would have been. The show lasted three series, and he says, ah, it's been about three years now, so that's clearly a nod to this is what would have been if they'd lasted a little bit longer, I would imagine. Yeah, was absolutely. The- and that kind of came through our, our sort of, you know, we were trying to figure out, we were thinking maybe two years, but then we thought it would be nice to have it be 966 days, because that's Obviously, nine sixty six was the month and year of the the first airing. So that, oh, that all right, I missed that. I officially missed that. I'd like to point out that, you, 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 that I would have gotten that eventually, but I, I didn't catch course, that until now. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. So, um, but a couple of things that didn't make it into the third one that I did love from the second one. I love that dude, uh, and you probably met him on set a few days. The the cyborg guy. He's named Science Officer zero seven one eight. The guy with the giant yeah. eyes and the kind of glowing head 
did not make it into the third film. Just, uh, just he got transferred off the ship somewhere. Yeah, that was Joe. Yeah, we actually had. Um, I think that was more to do with the fact that we shot in Vancouver. So some of our LA cast, uh, you know, of sort of um, supporting characters didn't make it into the um, into the the personnel lineup. But we did have. I remember there were there were scenes when we had that guy. In the early writing stage, I remember writing lines for him, but I think that just came from just the practicality of shooting in a new territory and mm. you know, whatever comes with that. All right, that's that's a good real-world world answer, but for my purposes, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say he was transferred to the SS uh, Farragut or something. And uh, Well, it's the same as with Carol Marcus, you know, because she kind of pretty much seemed to be joining the... Um, yes. Joining the crew with this. It felt like... Um, we would underserve her if we included her then she might end up being feeling not you know not given the amount of screen time she deserves so rather than rather than bring her in and just have her be a supporting role like have her not be in this one and and when the time comes rather than or, or you know or the worst thing would be to do would be to have her in the film and then that character be killed you know to right play. right and that felt like it was a cynical thing to do that's like an old American TV show thing like oh, yeah. High Chaparral or whatever when when the, the lead guy would would get a girlfriend and, and she'd have to be killed so that he could get another girlfriend <laughs> we didn't really want to do that so we thought rather than actually have Carol Marcus be sort of um, not used uh, to, to, to a sort of you know reasonable capacity let's just not include her right have her be alive in canon and ready to come back at any time right there were a few people that said hey whatever happened because especially if you watch the three films back to back which which i did because they um there were some marathons and it really does end yeah. with like oh carol Mar- marcus she's she's right up there on the bridge and like no nah, she kind of disappeared but She's off doing yep. science somewhere. Maybe she'll show up in the fourth one. Who knows? She seems like a nice gal. Well, she you know. went off to work on. The, I think we had some, we had some lines uh, to to explain her absence uh, in one of the initial drafts that had her going off to start work on the Genesis project. Right. You know, sort of the very very early research on that, but um, it didn't make it into the final cut. Fair enough. Well, um, you know, we're talking a lot about a lot of. Uh, you know, lighthearted issues with the film, but there is there is some seriousness too, and there are have already some critics have picked up on it that one could, if one wanted to, very easily interpret Crawl uh, and his in his villainy as uh, a metaphor for for Brexit, for uh, some of the uh, right wing uh, thinking in the current U.S. election. Uh, yeah. This this is not something that you're brushing aside. You you're you're embracing this interpretation, correct? Absolutely. I mean, we you know, Star Trek was always very much a, a social commentary. I mean, it, it, you know, most if not all art in some way reflects the epoch that it comes from, but not all art acknowledges that. And Star Trek always did. You know, Star Trek usually tackled issues that were you know uh, on the cultural subconscious or whatever. And we felt like we wanted to do that with this one. It, it was it, it's something that Star Trek's kind of became Star Trek became famous for back in the day. And so, for us, it was the notion of collectivism versus isolationism. You know, and and you know, Kral's thing was that he he wanted to keep the he wants to keep the galaxy in a in a in a, a sort of state of chaos and and not not and, and discord rather than unity. And and that feels to me what some of the kind of political movers and shakers at the moment are are trying to do you know they're trying to create this sort of sense of it's this 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 very rigid selfism which is actually very destructive and that's not what 
the Federation is about. The Federation has always been a, a very inclusive and collective and, and positive force for, you know, for sort of evolution for every species. And, yeah. And um, cr- 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 the counter to that. Yeah. Cr- you, you, if you if you voted leave, you will turn into a lizard man. I think that's that's fairly yeah, exactly. <laughs> fairly clear. But you know what's interesting is that, Krull, that the, Krull, the irony we really liked with Kral, with the hypocrisy of him was that he was himself a walking embodiment of collectivism. You know, he had by, you know, his greater backstory was that he had over the years on Altamid, you know, consumed so many different kinds of species that he'd become this this walking commercial for collectivism. You know, he was better together. He was stronger when he was, you know, the, the, he, the, the move that he pulls on Kirk on the Enterprise when he pins him against the wall and holds him up by his neck, he tries to do that to him again when he's only human and he can't do it. Mm. And so the kind of the irony of Kral is that he he's he's a he's a hypocrite, you know, because he's sort of created this internal collectivism by vamping off all these different species, and yet he's preaching about you know being better as an individual and being you know a unity being a, and, a weakness. And not just that, I mean his his uh, swarm ship, the the murmuration of the swarm ship, the bees. Um, one of those ships yeah, wouldn't have done squat the, against the, the Enterprise, but the fact that there's a thousand of them, you know, all working as one—that's uh, yeah. sort of a—that's sort of an abstract um, paradox because yeah, they're all in lockstep, but they are unified. He's proving himself wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like yeah. the Borg. The Borg also was, uh, you know, took from everything, but uh, but then conformed it to some sort of overriding. Yeah, that was more about a kind of uh, hom- homogeneity, you know, like a kind of the the, the, re- the removal of individualism. That you can have individualism at the same time as collectivism. It's selfism is the dangerous thing, you know. That the, the Federation promotes sort of difference and celebrates it, whereas the Borg obviously is a is a sort of aggregator and an, an amalgamator of. And I think that's what um, we we did want a kind of crawl to throw up a kind of parallel between Starfleet or the Federation and the Borg at one point. But I think we used the word assimilation quite, I can't remember if it made it into the script, but it, that we did have this, obviously, you know, the Borg is the mirror of the Federation. They're, uh, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing, but in, in a different way, you know. And um, we like the idea of actually making people think, oh, maybe the Federation is just the Borg, you know, through the mirror. <laughs> the Borg, but nice. But, um, I mean, that's the, that's, that's, nice. that's the thing. If you look at um, some of the classic original series episodes, uh, like Friday's Child or um, or Errand of Mercy, when when uh, when the Federation and the Klingons are on the planet at the same time, and they're trying yeah. to each get sort of a uh, you know a proxy state, you know th- there are similarities between you know the them, but it's like no, the, but the Klingons are jerks. You know we're we're going to be nice yeah. about it. We're going <laughs> to you know we, we yeah we want you on our side, but it, but it's you got to trust us. It's it's for our well, betterment. These, these things these are reflections of our own society, obviously. And you get that with, with a film like The Wrath of Khan, where that was made at the height of kind of, you know, the nuclear fear which was going around in society at the time. And actually, Nicholas Mayer had made that film the day after, I think, either sure. the year before mm-hmm. or the year after. And, and that, that film is basically saying that weapons like the Genesis Project are okay in the hands of some people, but not okay in the hands of others. And it, it's, again, it's the Klingons and the, and the Federation there is that which is really their proxies for, like, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union and, and, mm-hmm. and the West. Yeah. 
which is that, that they shouldn't have nuclear weapons, but we should. <laughs> you know, that's right, which is a problematic statement because, uh, you know, maybe no one should have it, but it's... Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But that wasn't it's what original it's series... It's bolstering kind of, you know, it's bolstering social norms about, about you know, weapons of mass destruction and, and justifying us having them, you know. You can see uh, there, there are sort of... You know, they're not sort of hidden messages, but they are us talking to ourselves and justifying our own possession of these things. Well, you know, what's exciting and must be very gratifying for you is that you've written now a, 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 a concrete, thorough, and important piece of Star Trek history that is rich enough that people can stay up late in their dorm rooms and scrutinize. And uh, as, as, so. and I, as we've just done and will, the, will, will happen for, for generations. So uh, congratulations on that. It's very, very exciting. And uh, I know we got to go. We've, we've taken up a lot of your time, but I want to say thanks very much for joining us. And I know um, it, you were at the Star Trek convention last year in Las Vegas, That's and right. um, you're like you're shooting right now, um, uh, Ready Player One. But uh, yeah. it stands to reason that you'll meet the Trek fans again at another convention. I mean, you, you and you and Carl Urban have have embraced the convention scene. And yeah, uh, I've, had, well, I've done one. I'd like to do. I'd like to do another one. You know, it's something that I really want to do and, and feel like, you know, as, I, as, as we've mentioned before, and I'm sure Doug mentioned, you know, we, we reached out to Memory Alpha to help us with certain fact-checking stuff, and, and they also came up with Bokaya for us when we, you know, that, that Star Trek is intrinsically related to its fan base. It exists because of its fan base. You know, if, they, if, they, if the fan base hadn't been so passionate, then it would have, you know, it would have disappeared. And, and so... It's a symbiotic relationship, so it's something I would always like to, and I'd love to get into it and discuss it with with other Star Trek fans. You know, it was difficult when when we were actually writing the movie because, you know, there was a lot of consternation after Into Darkness and 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 sort of and worry about. Yeah, I, I understood it, you know, and it, it was something that Doug and I were kind of like, particularly after the first trailer came out, which wasn't particularly indicative of the movie. We oh, were yeah. sort of taking broadsides. <laughs> but we're the same as you, you know, we want the same thing. So it's, it's, it's something that I really look forward to, to chatting about with other Star Trek fans well, that's and, and discussing and, you know. Well, you have an open door on this, uh, on this podcast, obviously, whenever, okay. whenever you wish. And, you know, there's going to be a convention in England later this year. So, uh, you know, we'll reach out to you. And, and, you know, I know you're a busy man, but if you're around, we'll, we'll, we'll make something happen. Eventually, this, this Blu-ray is going to come out of uh, the new movie. There's going to yep. be another one down the line. Whenever you've got something new coming on, we'd like to talk. And, as you know, there is going to be a new television show starting in January. Uh, I know, which is very exciting. And, uh, which I would love to chat with you to talk about just as a fan. And then, you know, you never know, because it's a weird universe with parallel dimensions. Season two of that show, season three. There's no reason why the Kelvin version of scotty can't beam over and say hello to the captain of whatever the new ship is there's it's weirder things have happened on star trek so that would be awesome that would be very cool who's to say that the new series doesn't take place in the kelvin timeline i don't know i haven't discussed it yet but i'm very <laughs> i'm very excited well i know that's you know star trek's home is television <laughs> and the movies have always been a very much a sort of you know a, a kind of celebration of that and they've been events 
that have happened at the cinema. But I think, you know, the, the true home of Star Trek really is TV, and I'm very excited that it's back there. Well, I, I, I agree with you there. And uh, listen, if, if, if you need Brian Fuller's phone number, I'll get it to you, and we can figure out a way to get the two of you together, because I think it would be fun. Um, that would be awesome. All right, well, thanks very much. Uh, I'm sure you had a busy day. So take care of those two dogs, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to be on. Okay, Thank you. take care. Bye. Cheers, bye. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. That was a lot of fun. We're going to be coming to you all week with uh, episodes, shorter episodes from the convention. And next week, we're going to have a super deluxe episode. Hopefully, knock wood. Knock, uh, what can we knock here? Um, Knock door? No, that doesn't work. But knock something that we're going to speak to a number of exciting, talented members of the Star Trek crew while we're out there in Vegas. Not quite sure who we're talking to yet, but certainly we'll be speaking to a lot of fans who knows? We may be speaking to you. If you see me, feel free to give me a holler. Um, I will be recording some podcasts in the evening, probably at Quark's Bar out there in Las Vegas. So please feel free to stop by and shout into our microphones. And um, if not, we'll catch you again next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.